alike. I want you to close your eyes just for a brief moment and listen and try to picture this scene. The high priest enters the dimly lit tabernacle with some fear and trepidation. He only gets to do this once a year. In one hand, he's holding a censer uh, filled with glowing coals from the altar. On the other hand, he's holding a handful of incense. As he moves behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies, Again, it's dark. He feels that fear walking into the most holy place, God's home. He puts the incense on the coals and it produces this fragrance, this fragrant cloud, if you will. It covers the Ark of the Covenant, the footstool of our God, the footstool of Yahweh. The place of the presence, God's home, is shrouded in this aromatic smoke. It's everywhere. The priest is hindered from seeing the forbidden throne of God. Makes it hard to see. As the smoke of the incense begins to ascend, it serves as a miniature replica of the glory cloud of God on Mount Sinai. And he finds himself standing in God's presence with all the smells that go with it. Father, thank you that we get to stand in your presence and enjoy you every minute of every day. And thank you for these high priests down through the years that both felt that sense of honor and privilege and that sense of fear of walking into your presence, that deep reverence, that deep awe. Help us, Lord, to Experience that today as we stand in your presence. In your son's name, amen. Every year we let the children's ministry pick the theme for Advent, and this year it's the five senses. Somebody said after church on the first service, I didn't know how you were going to preach a sermon on smell. I said, neither did I on Monday. It's not something we usually think about and talk about, our five senses, is it? Have you ever thought about the fact that our senses were given to us more than simply to enjoy life? That it's through our senses we are able to begin to make more and deeper sense of who God is, begin to experience Him in very unique and very real ways. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. You know, Advent means the appearing of Christ. He appeared once and he's coming back. There's a second Advent coming. And we've talked about how we develop these traditions. We do them on purpose. And uh, we're going to say every Sunday, just a reminder of traditions, what they're for. Uh, The old King James talks about we see through a glass dimly. The modern translations uh, more appropriately talk about we see in a mirror in a distorted way. But I like that imagery of a dark glass because we can't see very well the world around us. We can't see the reality of the glory of the Lord. Not yet. That'll come. When we do traditions, whether it's this, communion, whatever we do, when we develop traditions, 
if we do them correctly, if we do them well, just for a second, that dark glass becomes clear and the future comes into our world. Christ enters into our world and we experience him in new and fresh ways. If we do them poorly, and we're going to talk about some of those a little bit later this morning, if we do them poorly, then they begin to shield us from the truth. That's what happens. You see, we're not doing these to make you feel good about yourself. That's not the goal. Let me apologize up front. <clears throat> I'm fighting an upper respiratory tract infection. So, um, so we're not, we're not doing these traditions to make you feel good. So you walk out here feeling better about yourself. We're trying to help you generate a true sense of hope. So when you walk out of here, you love the Lord more than you did when you came in. And, you, and even if it's just for a brief glimpse, you have a picture of the Lord Jesus coming into our world. Okay? All right. So, today we're going to talk about smell. What does Christmas smell like? Well, of all the uh, senses that the Bible talks about, smell is actually quite rare. But what it says about smell is very, very significant. It's very important what it says about smell. You see the Old Testament over 40 times. It pictures God as uh, being pleased as he smells the burnt offerings. It's not because of the killing of the animal. Listen to one passage. There's, I'm not going to read them all. There's over 40. But this is the story of Noah after the flood. Noah built an altar to the Lord. This is out of Genesis 8. And taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. And he said in his own heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. He knows his children, doesn't he? How many of you have children? Most of your hands went up before, yep. You still have children. Do you know their hearts from childhood? It doesn't take long to realize they're pretty selfish. Isn't that right? So he will never again curse the ground, even though the inclination, every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. You see, it's not the animals that, the killing of the animals that pleases him. It's the, it's the worship, the proper worship that brings pleasure to him. And that's expressed in terms of smell. When we worship the Lord and we worship Him well, that's the Lord. In contrast to that, uh, God ridicules the idols and false gods by pointing out that they have no sense of smell. One example is in Psalm 115. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God's in heaven. Why are they looking? Our God's in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their gods, their idols are silver and gold, made with human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. Their gods can't even smell. I, on the other hand, enjoy the fragrance of good worship. When you look at the human sense of smell in Scripture, it gives you, it fleshes out this picture even more. So by the time we get to the New Testament, we'll understand even more about how important smell really is. Uh, 
In Daniel chapter 3, remember the story when Daniel comes out of the, uh, his three friends come out of the fiery furnace? Remember that story? It says that they have no smell of fire on them. It doesn't talk about, you know, they're not burnt. It talks about there's no smell of fire on them. I don't know what they did smell like, but they apparently smelled them because they knew there was no smell of fire on them. When you walk through the Song of Songs, all the way through, the bride, the groom is talking about the bride. She just smells lovely. Her breath smells wonderful to him. All the way through the wedding liturgy, all of the fragrance imagery is just woven throughout the wedding imagery of how good it smells. And you know what it's like to be in love with somebody and to enjoy their smell. You know that. Psalm 45 tells us that the king's robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes. That's a statement of their deep love for the king. What does the Proverbs tell us? When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. And this is a statement of how much they love their king. That they would describe his leadership in terms of smells. They love it. It smells good to the, to the soul, to the person. Ecclesiastes, he tells us, a good name is better than fine perfume. Wow. Good name is better than fine perfume. We've never attached a good name to smells, have we? And yet the Bible does that. You see, God gave us these senses for a reason. To, to take in information and to understand far more about Him. I've said for a long time that one of the reasons God gave us this creation right here is so that we would enjoy Him. Just look out the window over there. We would enjoy Him. It tells us something about Him. And all the senses are engaged, aren't they? If you ever go for a walk in the wood, all five senses are engaged. So the senses are there to help us develop a better, more realistic picture of who this God is. He's not just some name. He's not just some abstract God in the sky. He's not an idol with a nose that can't smell. No, no, he's living. He's real. He's very well, very engaged. And this is what he's doing. Love my creation. Remember doing that when your children were little? You brought them home from the hospital? Love my boys, love my girls. Love my creation. <clears throat> when we begin to look at the worship practices in the Old Testament, we begin to see even more things flow to the surface. For example, in Psalm 141, my prayer, the psalmist says, is set before you like incense. So prayer is described in the language of incense all throughout the Bible. In Isaiah 6, when Isaiah is standing in the throne room of God, and it says that smoke has filled the, the throne room, that's a reference to the altar of incense and the smells that go with it. He's standing there, and he's surrounded by smoke and, 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 God's, and God's throne, sitting on the, sitting on the chair. John tells us later on he was referring to Jesus. That's a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. 
And the tabernacle and the temple in both of those, the altar of incense helps us understand the eternal reality of God's throne. In other words, it's bringing a future concept that we can't see, we can't see eternity, but it's bringing it into our world today so that it makes sense to us. Exodus 40, for example, place the gold in front of the Ark of the Covenant and put the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. People could see the gold, the altar. They could see it and it symbolized something to them. Uh, Exodus 30, first 10 verses of Exodus 30 is a long list of how the incense was to be used and done. It was to be burned perpetually. They had priests assigned light the incense, make sure it's lit every morning and every evening. So the incense is burning perpetually. It's always there and people could smell it. I wonder what memories that created for the people. Because you have your own smells in your homes at Christmas, don't you? And it starts generating remembrance of what's, of prior times and hopes and expectations. And they did the same thing in the temple. Interestingly, in Hebrews chapter 9, the altar of incense is described in the earthly tabernacle. And we're told that the reason for these items in the earthly tabernacle was to demonstrate that the way had not been made available to the most holy place. We couldn't get there. Not yet. That's what the earthly temple reminded us of. That the Ark of the Covenant was God's footstool. That's where he sat in his comfortable chair and placed his feet on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. And so the earth is being portrayed as a cathedral, if you will, as a garden, as God's throne room. And the Holy of Holies is where he places his feet to rest. And so in Hebrews, we're told that that way into that space had not been opened to anybody but the high priests. Then starting in verse 11, the author of Hebrews begins to describe when Jesus, our high priest, came, how begin to experience the reality of all that those symbols pointed toward, access to a God. We can walk into his presence and he says, I love the way you smell. Oh, you smell so sweet to me. See how important these senses are? What they communicate to us? The altar of incense pictures the continual pleasing nature of God's acceptance of us as his children and our prayers through his son Jesus. Boy, is there a better image? Incense constantly floating up and the Lord constantly being pleased with us. We don't think of it that way very often, do we? When it comes time for the Messiah to appear, guess what? Smells and incense reappear on the scene again. The angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah. Remember the story of Zechariah? He's uh, John the Baptist's father. And he comes to tell Zechariah, you're going to have a son. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. The time has come for the advent of the Messiah. It's here. Guess where Zechariah is standing? Right at the altar of incense. Getting ready to make sure the incense is lit. And Gabriel appears right on the right side. That's an important position, by the way. 
Jesus stands on the right hand of the Father. That's symbolizing authority. He appears out of nowhere as he's getting ready to light it. And he, he, he jumps back. What is this? And he says, the time has come. All of history, all of history has been moving toward this moment. And your son is going to announce the coming Messiah. He is going to be the front runner to the Messiah. Powerful moment. Just as he's right at the altar of incense, getting ready to light the incense. I think it signifies that God was listening to the prayers of his people. That's what incense reminds us of. God accepts us and our prayers, and he's very pleased. Love my people. See the picture? Matthew 2.11, when the Magi come to the newborn Jesus, what do they bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Gold and incense. That's what they bring to them. I don't know if, they're, if they are aware that they're fulfilling Old Testament prophecies or not. But Isaiah 60 says, And all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of Yahweh our God. And that's what they do when they come to Jesus. They bring incense. When we get to the end of the book, in Revelation chapter 5, We're in the throne room of God, and here's what we were told. When Jesus, the Lamb, had taken the scroll and he opened it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. You've heard that before. They fell down before the Lamb. We often read this at Easter time. But listen to what happens next. Each one of them had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the people. How many of you come from high church? Liturgical churches? Episcopalian, Catholic? Let me see your hands. That's okay. Nothing to be ashamed of. It's good. Okay. How many of you don't? Okay. I don't. I come from a tradition. We were so concerned that we might look Catholic. We took everything off the walls and painted it white. When I was at Dallas Seminary, for a brief moment, across the street was a Greek Orthodox church. They purchased the church, and uh, they were going to turn it into a chapel. And so the Greek Orthodox church had stained glass windows filled with all kinds of icons. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And what did they do? Stripped everything out and painted it white. It didn't last very long that way, but I remember looking at that thinking, something is wrong here. How many of you enjoy this? Did you notice it's growing slowly? I told you, watch it from week to week. Things appearing on the wall, more lights here and there and all of that. Okay, let's find a road down the middle of these two positions. It's very very familiar to some of you to walk into a liturgical environment and light a candle for someone. How many of you have seen it? How many of you have done it? Okay. All right. This is a tradition. For those of us that come out of low church, we almost we were taught that that's kind of anathema. Okay? But what we just did we just read in Revelation 5 that the incense represents the prayers of the people. Here is where a tradition done well brings Christ into our world. And a tradition undone poorly shields you from the truth. When you light that candle for someone, 
you light it and walk away and go watch football? Do you light that candle and maybe just for a brief moment you pray for a person and you walk away and forget about them? That's a tradition done poorly. It's no different than communion. You take communion and you're thinking about what you're going to do this afternoon. It's shielding you from the truth. There's something really good if you're going to light a candle, to use that candle to be a reminder of your deep love for someone. I asked Don Wolf in the first service, many of you remember, three years ago, two years ago, two years ago, praying for him. Stage four cancer. They had just a little sliver of hope that he would live. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And we prayed and we prayed. Remember that? And he's sitting here in church today with clean scans. Not everybody has that response, but it reflected our longing as a church to say, God, this is somebody important to us. By the way, you may remember two years ago we prayed for, prayed for Roy Herring, diagnosed with lung cancer, unexpectedly. Riding a bike up Vail Pass, had trouble, a little bit of trouble getting up to the top. Went to the doctor, had lung cancer. We prayed and prayed and prayed. I texted him yesterday. I said, hey, I've been thinking about you. How are you doing? And he said, uh, I get a scan, lung scan every three months, and they're clear. Doesn't that bring us praise and joy? You know, it doesn't happen to everybody. But when it does, it reflects the, the, the heart that's, that we're developing as a culture for people. If you're going to do a ritual to light a candle... For someone, don't light it and walk away. Light it and let it be a reminder to you of how important we are to each other. See the difference? A ritual done well, just for a glimpse, the dark glass becomes clear, and we get to see what's important to us. We get to see the Christ come into our world. A ritual done poorly becomes a shield to the truth. We can't see it. This is why Paul could say, and you're going to see this verse in several of the devotions this week, 2 Corinthians 2. Thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Okay, pause. This is military. This is warfare imagery. See, here's what happened. We're in, a, we're in a tribe and we have a king. Maybe we're in a walled city and our king goes out to fight a battle. We don't know if the battle's been won or lost. We don't have CNN. Okay? We have no idea how wonderful and blessed it is when the people come running the feet of those who bring good news. It's a picture of the guards on the wall looking and they say, Hey, I know that guy. It must be good news. He's running to tell us about the victory and we can all praise him. So the king would come back with the army and he would bring all the prisoners and he would parade the prisoners and all of the loot down the main street so we could see that our king won. What do you think it smelled like? I don't think it smelled very pretty. Right? Sweat, blood, warfare, death. It's a cause of celebration. I'm trying to give your image, your imagination a sense of what he's saying here. Now, put this in a theological context. 
thanks be to God who always leads us as his captives, as his, his trophy. Look at my people. in a triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of how good he is everywhere. That's why we say we reflect the glory of the Lord to the world around us when we live our lives of faith. We do that. He goes on, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. We are the pleasing aroma. Have you ever thought about it? God loves the way you smell. Love my people. Love my people. Okay, what do we make of all this? Let me give you a couple of thoughts as it relates to Advent. Smells are used to help us understand what is good and what is not good. I'm not, uh, never took biology. I don't understand hardly anything about the, bo- the body. But I had a doctor tell me that our noses are different than animals' noses. Because like with a dog, they don't have the sense of good and bad. They have a sense of what's interesting and what's more interesting. <laughs> now I understand my dog. Why he rolls in certain places. What's interesting and what's more interesting? Not so with us. We have the ability to distinguish good and bad. Attractive and unpleasant smells. If you've ever been to a third world country, they don't have practice the same hygiene that we do. And they've gotten used to those smells. I must smell really funny to them. Because they walk right up to me. They don't think about bad breath or any of that. They'll walk right up to me and just talk to me like this. And as an American, I'm wanting to go, (laughs) right? I've been sitting in a chair and had a male student come up and sit down in my lap and put his arm around my neck and just start asking me questions. Had females do that. It's very different than the way we think. We have the capacity to start making judgments based on smells. And so God uses this sense to help us grasp a more full picture of who he is. In the Old Testament, the smells of Advent... The smells of the Old Testament, as well as the smells of Advent, they're a physical reminder in today's world of an eternal reality. What do you think Mary smelled? You ever been in a barn? Probably doesn't smell like your house. I had some people tell me in the first service, I love the smell of barns. Well, I, didn't, I grew up on the ocean. Okay? I don't have the same reaction that they do about barns. <sighs> yeah, Wilson, I know. <laughs> What's it smell like? I haven't been in a lot, but the ones I have smelled in, they kind of stink. Smell like manure, sweat, filth, all that kind of stuff, right? Animals, they kind of stink. Uh... What do you think she, she connected that smell to? Because she had just heard, not before that, for very long, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. I wonder if she connected that smell with hope. I bet she did. Because it doesn't take very long after that passage that she began to treasure up all these things in her heart. When you walk around your house and you begin to smell the smells of Christmas that appear, you heard a bunch of them and you have many more. What does that generate for you? Nancy and I were talking 
this uh, last weekend when we decorated our house, it's very easy to fall into the trap of nostalgia. Oh, we miss the kids. All of that. Because it was a different experience with our kids at home. And yet they're gone. You see, nostalgia is destructive. Nostalgia kills. Nostalgia makes you long for what's behind you. That's what the Egyptians, I mean, the Israelites went through. We remember the cucumbers and the leeks of Egypt, right? Nostalgia makes you want to go back. Memories, reminiscences give you a sense of what could be so that you look forward. And we were talking and said, isn't this why we married? To grow together? So we turned on the Messiah. I listened to the Messiah every day during Advent. It's a little tough on the family. <laughs> every day. But guess what? I called my son. Daddy, you listening to the Messiah? Ah, there it is. The world is okay. It's all right. Because my dad's listening to the Messiah. This morning I got to church. I was listening to it in my office. So we turned on the Messiah. We started decorating the house. This is what we got married for. To roll together. I'm glad our kids are gone. They're doing their own wacky things. I cannot for the life of me figure out why anybody would want only white lights on a Christmas tree. That does not make sense to me in any universe. And my kids are sending me pictures of trees with white lights on them. That ought to be against the law. It just ought to be. But I love it that they have their own traditions and now they have their kids and they're doing their own thing and they're doing what we wanted them to do. Begin to grow old together. What do you smell when you go around your house? What do you smell? Smell pine cone? Or do you smell that God healed you of cancer? What do you smell? Smell the pine? Or do you smell that God blessed you with wonderful children? Even if they're sinful idiots. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about, right? What do you smell? Do you smell hope? You smell despair when you smell the candle. What do you smell? Those are the rituals that you're putting in your homes. Do your rituals generate hope? That's a tradition well done. Or do they shield you from it and just make you feel good about yourself? That's a tradition poorly done. You know, when you think about our traditions and our rituals, we have several, don't we? They should all lead to the same thing. Advent candles, communion, offering, and many more. They should all be a reflection of our authentic, genuine hope for God and His return. Because He's the one that's given us all this. I love my people. Father, thank You once again, for your great love for us. <clears throat> Thank you for your son. Thank you for all that you do. <clears throat> Thank you for the senses that you gave us to make sense, to help us understand, to interact with you, to be able to experience you in ways that we hadn't even thought of. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to help us as a church this Advent season to enjoy these senses. Thank you for our children thinking of this idea. Our children's ministry, they're on to something. Thank you for them. 
Help us to enjoy the richness of our senses to know that you love us more. And thanks for just smiling because you love the way we smell. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. Does it make you feel good to put money in the plate? Or does it represent your love, your deep love for God? Which one is it? It's your choice.